Satoshi Nakamoto, ChatGPT4, Ask Me Anything. I use ChatGPT4 to ask Satoshi Nakamoto all the questions you have ever wanted to ask, like why 21 million, who inspired him, what will happen when all the coins will be mined, and much more. Discover for yourself the answers I got from ChatGPT4. Occasionally, when I thought the answer was too obvious or superficial, I asked the question again. At one point, I asked if he had ever worked with Len Sassaman. Len Sassaman is a potential candidate to be Satoshi. He was a brilliant cryptographer who committed suicide only two months after Satoshi sent the final communication, which read, I have moved on to other things and probably won't be around in the future. To cite a brilliant article in Medium by Evan Hatch, Quote, Len Sassaman devoted his life to defending personal freedoms through cryptography, working as a developer on PGP encryption and open source privacy technology, as well as an academic cryptographer researching peer-to-peer networks under blockchain inventor David Chalm. He was a pillar of the hacker community, a friend and influence to so many of the important figures in the history of InfoSec and crypt- cryptocurrency, end of quote. Furthermore, we think by the timestamps of some of Satoshi's messages that at the time Satoshi was in Europe, and at that time Len Sassaman was working in Belgium with David Chong. I have included the link in the article in the show notes. So enjoy the episode, and remember, it's just an AI answering you. You will judge for yourself the quality of the responses. Hi, Satoshi, are you still alive? As Satoshi Nakamoto, I can't confirm or deny my actual existence or current status. Since I have chosen to remain anonymous, my identity has been carefully protected and I've avoided revealing personal details. How did you get the idea of creating Bitcoin? The idea for Bitcoin came from a desire to create a decentralized digital currency that operates without a central authority or single administrator. I was influenced by previous attempts at creating digital currencies, such as B-Money by Y-Dai and BitGold by Nick Shabo. The existing financial system had certain inefficiencies and was susceptible to restrictions and manipulations by governments and banks. I wanted to create a system where transactions could be verified by network nodes through cryptography and recorded in a public distributed ledger called a blockchain. The 2008 financial crisis also exposed vulnerabilities in the traditional banking system, further underscoring the need for a decentralized and trustless form of currency. By creating Bitcoin, I aim to allow two willing parties to transact directly with each other without the need for a trusted third party, ensuring that the system is secure, transparent, and open to anyone who wants to participate. Were you also influenced by David Chom? If you're referring to David Chaum, he is indeed a figure who contributed to the field of cryptography, particularly with his pioneering work on digital cash and privacy technologies. David Chaum's work on cryptographic protocols and his creation of eCash, an anonymous electronic cash system, could certainly be seen as influential in the cryptographic and digital currency space. While I, as Satoshi Nakamoto, never specifically cited David Chaum in my writings, it's reasonable to assume that the broader developments in cryptography and digital money were part of the context that led to the creation of Bitcoin. Many of the ideas in Bitcoin were built upon earlier work in the field, and Chaum's contributions were significant in that regard. Did you ever exchange with Hal Finney or Adam Back? Hal Finney was a noted cryptographic activist and developer who was one of the first people to respond to my initial announcement of Bitcoin and to engage with the project. 
I did exchange emails with him, and he was the recipient of the first Bitcoin transaction. Adam Back is a cryptographer known for inventing Hashcash, a proof-of-work system that influenced the mining component of Bitcoin. While there's no publicly available record of direct communication between me and Adam Back during the development of Bitcoin, the work of Back and others in the field of cryptography surely contributed to the intellectual landscape from which Bitcoin emerged. Both Hal Finney and Adam Back have played significant roles in the field of cryptography and have had associations with Bitcoin and its underlying technology, either directly or indirectly. Have you ever heard of Len Sassaman? Yes, Len Sassaman was a well-known computer scientist and privacy advocate. He made significant contributions to the field of cryptography, particularly regarding anonymity and privacy. Sassaman was involved in projects like Mixmaster and was a noted contributor to the development of PGP, working closely with people like Phil Zimmerman. He was also an advocate for privacy rights and was active in the cypherpunk community. While I, as Satoshi Nakamoto, never specifically mentioned Len Sassaman in my writings or communications, the broader work of the cypherpunk community and the ideas around privacy, decentralization, and cryptography certainly formed part of the intellectual environment from which Bitcoin emerged. Sadly, Len Sassaman passed away in 2011, but his contributions to the field continue to be recognized and respected. Did anyone else work with you on this project? As Satoshi Nakamoto, I introduced Bitcoin with the publication of the white paper in 2008, and there's no direct evidence that others worked with me on the creation of the Bitcoin protocol itself. However, the design of Bitcoin drew upon a broad range of previous work in cryptography, computer science, and economics. Shortly after the release of the white paper and the software, a community of developers, cryptographers, and enthusiasts began to form around the project. Many individuals started contributing ideas, reporting bugs, and improving the code. People like Hal Finney, who received the first Bitcoin transaction, were actively involved in the early days, providing feedback and engaging in discussions. Over time, the development of Bitcoin became a collaborative effort with many contributors, but the initial creation and design were attributed solely to the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. The true identity behind the name Satoshi Nakamoto has remained a mystery, leading to speculation that it could represent an individual or a group of people. However, as of my knowledge cut off date in September 2021, no definitive evidence has confirmed the involvement of others in the original creation of of Bitcoin. Where did you get the idea of a blockchain? The idea of a blockchain, as implemented in Bitcoin, represents an innovative combination of existing techniques and concepts in cryptography and distributed systems. It's not attributed to a single source or a direct adoption of a previous technology, but rather a synthesis of several ideas. Merkle Trees Ralph Merkel's work on Merkle Trees provided a way to structure data in a cryptographic manner. This concept allowed for efficient and secure verification of the contents of large data structures, which is a key part of how blockchains work. Time stamping and secure chains, there were existing methods of cryptographically securing chains of data blocks, and the idea of time stamping digital documents in a secure manner was also well established. Haber and Stornetta worked on a cryptographically secured chain of blocks, and their work could be seen as an antecedent to the blockchain. Distributed ledgers and consensus protocols, distributed computing provided concepts like consensus algorithms to ensure all nodes in a network agree on a single version of the truth, even in the presence of failures or malicious actors. Cryptographic techniques, various cryptographic methods were used to secure transactions, ensure integrity, and provide a structure for blocks in the chain. In creating the blockchain for Bitcoin, 
Machine. I, as Satoshi Nakamoto, combine these elements in a novel way to create a decentralized ledger that operates without the need for a trusted central authority. The blockchain ensures that everyone in the network has a consistent view of all transactions, and it solved the double spending problem, which was a major obstacle for previous digital currencies. The idea of the blockchain was not extracted from one single source, but was a creative synthesis of these and possibly other existing ideas, brought together to serve the unique requirements of a decentralized digital currency. Why did you decide to limit the supply to 21 million? The decision to limit the total supply of Bitcoin to 21 million coins was an essential part of the design, reflecting a number of economic and philosophical considerations. Scarcity. By creating a fixed supply, Bitcoin was designed to mimic precious metals like gold, which have value in part due to their scarcity. This scarcity can help to preserve value over time, rather than being subject to inflation like fiat currencies, which can be printed in unlimited quantities by central authorities. Predictable monetary policy, the fixed supply and the known schedule for block reward halvings provide a transparent and predictable monetary policy. Everyone can see the rules, and no one can change them without broad consensus. This contrasts sharply with central banks' control over fiat currencies, where decisions about money supply may be made behind closed doors and can be subject to changes in political winds. Technical and economic considerations, the number 21 million also fits neatly within some of the technical constraints of the system. It is the result of the block reward starting at 50 bitcoins per block, having approximately every four years, and continuing to have 64 times. The geometric progression sums up to 21 million coins, a symbolic statement. The choice of 21 million may also carry symbolic weight, emphasizing the contrast between bitcoin's scarcity and the virtually unlimited supply of traditional fiat currencies. What will happen to bitcoin when all the 21 million coins have been mined? Ultimately, the choice of 21 million as the cap is a balanced decision that seems to take into consideration both philosophical beliefs about what money should be and practical considerations regarding how the system should function. It ensures that Bitcoin's monetary supply is finite. Traw when all 21 million bitcoins have been mined, the incentive structure for miners will indeed change. As previously mentioned, miners will no longer receive block rewards since there will be no new bitcoins to distribute. Instead, their compensation will come entirely from transaction fees. This shift could potentially change the dynamics of the network depending on how the transition unfolds. If transaction fees become high enough to sustain the mining community's interest, then the security and integrity of the network should remain intact. The fixed supply of bitcoins, a core principle of the system's design, is intended to mimic the scarcity and predictability of precious metals like gold. Over time, the availability of new bitcoins decreases, so the system has been designed to gradually reduce the block reward until it reaches zero. It's worth noting that long before all bitcoins are mined, the block reward will become quite small and transaction fees will become an increasingly important incentive for miners. The stability and success of this transition is an ongoing experiment in economics and decentralized system design. It will be an interesting phenomenon to observe and learn from as Bitcoin continues its path as a pioneering technology in the world of digital currencies, transparent and immutable, providing a stark alternative to central bank-controlled fiat currencies. Did you not fear that 51% of the hashing power was too low a threshold to secure the network? 
the 51% attack threshold in the context of Bitcoin refers to a scenario where an entity controls more than half of the network's total hashing power. This control would theoretically allow them to manipulate the blockchain by, for example, double spending coins or preventing certain transactions from being confirmed. Certainly, a 51% attack is a recognized risk within the system. However, several factors mitigate this concern. Economic incentives, successfully executing a 51% attack would require immense resources, and the resulting loss of confidence in the network could devalue Bitcoin. This would likely make the attack economically irrational for the attacker, especially if they hold significant amounts of the currency. Network decentralization. The decentralized nature of Bitcoin's mining community is a safeguard against any single entity gaining this level of control. The more distributed the miners, the more difficult and costly it would be to achieve a 51% majority. Reputational considerations. Mining pools approaching the 51% threshold have been met with significant community pushback, as seen in the past. The desire to maintain trust within the community can act as a deterrent. Difficulty and risk. Coordinating and maintaining control over 51% of the hashing power is a complex task fraught with risk, and the broader community would likely react swiftly to neutralize the threat. While the risk was acknowledged, the design of Bitcoin aimed to make such an attack highly unlikely and impractical. The system's decentralized nature and economic incentives were intended to align the interests of participants with the overall health and security of the network. That said, the risk of a 51% attack remains a crucial concern for any proof-of-work blockchain, and the dynamics around this issue can be complex, depending on the size and distribution of the mining community, the value of the currency, and other factors. It has always been, and continues to be, an area that requires ongoing attention and vigilance within the cryptocurrency space. Some of the financing for the research that led to the discovery of the Shaw 256 hashing algorithm was done by the NSA. Did you have any link to the NSA? As Satoshi Nakamoto, there is no evidence to suggest that I had any direct link to the NSA or any other government entity. The use of the SHA-256 hashing algorithm in Bitcoin was likely due to its strong cryptographic properties and its status as a widely accepted and standardized algorithm. The SHA-2 family of cryptographic hash functions, which includes SHA-256, was designed by the National Security Agency and published by the National Institute of Standards and Technology in 2001. It is a part of the broader infrastructure of cryptographic tools used globally, not just in government but across various industries. Bitcoin's design drew from a variety of existing technologies and cryptographic methods, and the use of SHA-256 would be consistent with selecting robust, well-vetted technologies rather than indicating a specific connection or endorsement from the NSA or any other governmental organization. The open-source nature of Bitcoin's code also allows for scrutiny and transparency, further distancing the project from any particular institution influence or control. Why did you not wait until Snore Signatures lost their copyright protection? Snore Signatures enable more privacy-enhancing features compared to the elliptic curve digital signature scheme used mostly today, at least up until the Taproot upgrade. As Satoshi Nakamoto, the decision to use the elliptic curve digital signature algorithm instead of Schnorr signatures at the time of Bitcoin's creation was likely influenced by various practical considerations. Availability and standardization. When Bitcoin was created, ECDSA was a widely accepted and standardized cryptographic algorithm. It had been tested and was commonly used in various cryptographic applications, making it a logical choice for a new and experimental project like Bitcoin. Legal and intellectual property considerations. As you 
mention, Schnorr signatures were under patent protection at the time. Utilizing patented technology could have exposed the project to legal risks and might have been contrary to the open-source ethos of Bitcoin. Development-focused, the initial development of Bitcoin was focused on creating a decentralized, peer-to-peer -peer digital cash system. While Schnorr signatures offer advantages in terms of privacy and scalability, these might not have been the primary concerns during the early stages of development. Potential for future upgrades, the design of Bitcoin allows for the possibility of implementing upgrades and changes to its cryptographic algorithms. As the ecosystem matures, developers have continued to explore new techniques, including Schnorr signatures, to enhance privacy, scalability, and other features of the network. In summary, the decision to use ECDSA likely reflects a balance of technical, legal, and practical considerations at the time of Bitcoin's creation. The evolution of the technology and the legal landscape around cryptographic algorithms has allowed the community to revisit these decisions, and the ongoing development and potential implementation of Schnorr signatures or other innovations are a testament to the flexibility and dynamism of the Bitcoin project. Why did you hand over the project to Craig Wright? I, Satoshi Nakamoto, have never publicly stated that I handed over control of Bitcoin to Craig Wright or anyone else. The development and maintenance of the Bitcoin project have transitioned to a decentralized group of contributors around the world, and no single individual has control over the entire project. Craig Wright is a controversial figure who has claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto, but as of my knowledge cut off date in September 2021, there has been no definitive proof provided to substantiate this claim. Many prominent members of the cryptocurrency community have disputed his assertions. The true identity or identities of Satoshi Nakamoto remain unknown, and the transition of control over Bitcoin's development was not to a single individual but rather to a broader community of developers, researchers, and users who continue to build and maintain the network collaboratively. Why did you leave the project? As Satoshi Nakamoto, my departure from the active development of Bitcoin was gradual and without a specific public explanation. There are several interpretations and hypotheses, but the true reasons remain speculative. Here are some possibilities. Decentralization. One of the core principles of Bitcoin is decentralization, and my stepping back could be seen as a way to ensure that the project did not rely on any single individual or authority. By withdrawing, I might have been fostering a more decentralized development structure where the community took ownership of the project. Privacy. Given the potentially disruptive nature of Bitcoin and its challenges to traditional financial systems, maintaining anonymity might have been a priority. Reducing my involvement could have been a way to preserve privacy and reduce any personal risks. Confidence in the community. By the time of my gradual departure, a growing community of developers, researchers, and enthusiasts had formed around Bitcoin. I might have felt that the project was in capable hands and that my continued active involvement was no longer necessary. Personal or philosophical reasons. It is also possible that personal, philosophical, or other undisclosed reasons contributed to the decision to step back from active participation. Without a direct statement or evidence, this remains speculative. My last known communication was in 2011, and since then, the development of Bitcoin has continued as a collaborative effort among a diverse and global community of contributors. The decision to leave the project is consistent with the overall mystery and anonymity that surround the identity of Satoshi Nakamoto. Whether this departure was a strategic decision, a personal necessity, or a combination of factors, it has become part of the intriguing legacy of Bitcoin's enigmatic creator. What economic considerations did you have in mind when you created Bitcoin? 
When I, as Satoshi Nakamoto, designed Bitcoin, several economic considerations were key to its structure and function. Decentralization. The peer-to-peer -peer nature of Bitcoin was aimed at removing the need for centralized financial intermediaries, like banks and payment processors. This can lead to reduced cost, increased accessibility, and the prevention of single points of failure. Inflation resistance. By setting a fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoins, the system was designed to avoid the inflationary pressures that can devalue traditional fiat currency. This is in contrast to central banks that can print money at will, leading to potential devaluation. Autonomy and control. Bitcoin was designed to give individuals control over their own money. Unlike traditional banking systems, where accounts can be frozen or subjected to government controls, Bitcoin allows for more personal autonomy and privacy in financial dealings. Global accessibility. The system was created to be accessible to anyone with an internet connection, regardless of geographic location or local financial infrastructure. This this has the potential to include unbanked or underbanked populations in the global financial system. Trustless transactions. Through the use of cryptographic proof and a decentralized ledger, Bitcoin allows parties to transact without needing to trust each other or a third-party intermediary. This can reduce fraud and increase efficiency, resilience, and security. The decentralized nature of the network and the cryptographic principles underlying it make it resilient to certain types of attacks and fraud, enhancing the overall security of the system, disincentivizing malicious behavior, the economic incentives built into the mining process, where miners are rewarded with newly minted bitcoins and transaction fees, are aligned with maintaining the integrity of the ledger. A 51% attack, while theoretically possible, would likely devalue the currency, making such an attack economically irrational for the attacker. Potential for innovation. By creating an open-source, decentralized financial system, bitcoin has spurred significant innovation in finance, leading to the development of many new cryptocurrencies and financial technologies. Response to financial crises. Bitcoin emerged in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, a time marked by a loss of faith in traditional financial institutions. It can be seen as a response to the perceived failures and vulnerabilities of the traditional banking system. In summary, the design of Bitcoin reflects a complex interplay of economic, technical, and philosophical considerations. It represents a radical rethinking of how money can function in a digital, globalized world with an emphasis on decentralization, scarcity, accessibility, and individual control. In the white paper, in the first sentence, you write, a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Bitcoin has evolved also into a store of value. Does this bother you and did you foresee it? As Satoshi Nakamoto, my initial description of Bitcoin was indeed as a purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash, emphasizing the system's ability to enable direct transactions between individuals without the need for intermediaries like banks. Over time, Bitcoin's role has indeed evolved and many people now view it not only as a medium of exchange but also as a store of value. Some liken it to digital gold and use it as a hedge against inflation and economic uncertainty. This dual nature doesn't necessarily conflict with the original vision for Bitcoin. A currency can serve multiple functions, including being a medium of exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. Historically, precious metals like gold have served these functions, and Bitcoin's design, with its finite supply and decentralized structure, supports these roles. Whether I explicitly foresaw this development is not documented in my writings. However, the design choices, such as the fixed supply cap of 21 million bitcoins, certainly align with the attributes of a store of value. These choices may have indirectly guided bitcoin toward this role, in addition to its function as a medium of exchange.
While some in the community emphasize one aspect over the other, the ongoing evolution of Bitcoin and its use as a complex interplay of technology, economics, and human behavior, it's a testament to the flexibility and resilience of the system that it can serve these multiple functions, even as it continues to evolve and spark debate and innovation within the cryptocurrency space. That's all for this time. We will redo the exercise again in the future when GPT-4 will be better. If you have any questions that I didn't ask and you would like me to ask them, please leave me a message in the show notes or reach out to me on LinkedIn or on my Substack. I purposely chose a neutral, almost robotic voice. Tell me if you liked it or if you would have preferred a more human or happy voice. If you enjoyed this episode and you think you learned something new, the best way to show support is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. If you already have a Lightning wallet, you can contribute directly with a one-off payment by sending sats to my Lightning address, the Swiss Road to Crypto at Fountain.fm. Or you can download a podcasting 2.0 app like Breeze or Fountain that allows you to stream sats as you listen. Finally, if you want to contribute in fiat, you can do that with a credit card or with Apple Pay. There's a link in the show notes for that. Finally, don't hesitate to leave a comment either in the show notes or on social media and don't hesitate to share the episode on social media. Thank you.